Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to this, The Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and of course, thank you for leaving me all those reviews on iTunes, because it is really, really important. Sorry I've been away for a few weeks, however, I am back, and not only am I back, I'm back with one of the most exciting talents in the Premiership, and certainly one of the hardest hitting. Now, if you don't believe me, there's two ways you can verify this. One, you can look on YouTube, or two, you can contact Alex Reader directly on uh, Twitter, and you can ask him about Christian Scotland Williamson. Um, I recommend probably going on YouTube. So, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. This is me chatting to Christian Scotland Williamson. Hope you enjoy it. How are you, mate? Yeah, really well, thanks. Really well, and you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Now, tell me, do you prefer Chris, Christian, Mr. Scotland Williamson? Um, I've got a variety of names, to be honest. Um, at the club, a few of the boys, uh, when I first joined Worcester, started calling me uh, Hightower. So a, few <laughs> me that, a few of the coaches, but um, go by Christian or Chris, really, doesn't matter. What is with the name? Is it simply your mum decided to keep her maiden name? That's correct. She decided to kind of um, mess me up on all my exam certificates, that's for sure. I've had to have all of them changed because it's too long. Um, yeah, it's certainly a mouthful. Mm. Um yeah, so my dad's Guy Williamson and my mum's Hazel Scotland Williamson. So my brother and I are both Scotland Williamson, double-barrelled. Oh, I see. Tell me this. What did you think? Um, I, I don't know if you, Well, actually, I say what do you think. I mean, you were playing at the time. But did you manage to catch the commentary from Ugo Monia after your hit on, <laughs> on Alex Reader? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, that's another one that's kind of catching wind at the club. Um, the old posh boy chat it was quite funny, to be fair. It was quite sharp from Ugo. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> now, you've been around the Worcester team for quite some time now, and most of the reason that you haven't played that regularly is because of injury. So do you think, in a way, that tackle kind of signalled to everyone, yeah, you're ready to properly return, though? Um, in a way, yes. Um, it wasn't really planned, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> what, you, you, didn't, uh, uh, you didn't mark him out uh, early doors, no? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. You can't really um, plan those things. I think when you... You go and try and chase them, try and chase kind of the big hit, big tackle. You end up getting cut in behind, so you kind of have to let it evolve naturally. Um, yeah, I think in a way it was it was more just a well-timed hit, to be honest. I didn't really anticipate it being kind of that big and having um, the effect that it did. But um, no, certainly after the game, when I kind of asked one of my friends, because it just felt like a, a fairly solid connection, didn't feel like anything massive at all. 
Mm. And then when you watch it back, I think it looks bigger than it felt, that's for sure. It's kind of like hitting a golf ball, isn't it? Like, do you know when you yeah. really get it perfectly? It's like, oh, didn't really, didn't, didn't really strike it. And it goes flying somewhere. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, there's been times when you've kind of flown into a tackle, almost like swinging your shoulder in, and mm. you've thought, oh, I've absolutely walloped someone. And it's basically been a normal tackle, whereas that one just felt quite natural, quite a sweet um, tackle, well-timed. And, um, yeah. Now, let's just talk a little bit more broadly. Um, how are you enjoying your time in, um, in Worcester? Oh, it's been great. Um, so Worcester's kind of the home and the place that's brought me in since uh, I've been at university. So I was picked up by them in the September, October of my final year at university. So I was mm. at uh, Loughborough University just playing um, a bit of Bucks rugby and for the national one team. Yeah. And then on the off chance, I was actually working for uh, ESP Technologies, who um, are kind of the platform fitters and kind of uh, elite sports and um, uh, gymwear providers and manufacturers. So they okay. had their factory in Loughborough and they used to employ a few of the... Um, a few of the rugby boys uh, just on the odd day, two days, um, to go and help them fit some um, gym. So yeah. I think it was on my way up to York uh, in the van with one of the boys, and I got a call off of um, Scott Beam and then uh, Bucks One and attack coach. He said, look, there's an opportunity for you to go and play for Worcester in the A-League. Do you want to go? Yeah. And I was kind of in between the Bucks team and the National One team. So it actually worked in my favour because the first and second choice players would have been needed for the Saturday so it was too short a turnaround to play on the Monday so mm. that's why my name kind of got thrown in the ring and um, so I went down with uh, one of the other boys who was at Loughborough as well and uh, we played in the A-League just as kind of a stand-in a guest um, as you always have and then after the game uh, Dean Ryan and Carl Hogg came up to me and said look we really like how you played today um, we want to get you down more often would you like to come back uh, next week play again so came down the following week again uh, played again I think it was Leicester Tigers at home potentially yeah and um, then after that they said oh look we, we really kind of like how you're playing um, would you like to come down and train a bit so of course I jumped at the opportunity because I was just I was applying for grad schemes if I'm honest um, hmm. in my final year of uni getting ready to kind of make that transition to graduate life and potentially get kind of a full-term full-time um grad scheme uh, in London and so went down and trained I think twice on Mondays and then uh, I honestly couldn't believe it so I'm sitting at home in my student house with all my friends and I think it's a Wednesday I trained on the Monday yeah. and I get a call from Mark Hewitt the then academy manager saying look Christian um, the big man wants to know if you want to play on Friday I was thinking I was wow. on Friday um, what are you on about uh, and then he said that, look, we've got less Tigers at home in the LV Cup. Um, come down and uh, have a bit of a run through and train on Thursday. And then we'll get you in the mix on Friday. And I'm thinking, me? Are you, are you, being, are you being serious? Are you, are you sure? Just because I think I'd had maybe three training sessions with the first team. Because um, obviously I was commuting from Loughborough as well. So getting the train down from Loughborough. Mm leaving at kind of five in the morning because the trains from Birmingham to Worcester are quite infrequent at that time. So yeah. making sure I left plenty of time to kind of get there. So Sorry. I had about three training sessions and then I've kind of been thrust in centre stage where learning completely new lineup calling system in with these professionals where 
if I'm honest, I never thought that I'd ever even play at A-League level, to be honest. Um, I thought I kind of missed the boat on that. Um, and then, so I'd signed my first professional contract in the change rooms before the game uh, for the following year and then ran out uh, off the bench in front of, I think, a packed crowd on a Friday night at Worcester, which is always quite a special place. Yeah. So about 12,000 people managed to um, cross the line on debut as well. So it was all quite a frantic uh, few weeks. And then that's kind of set me up for where I am now, obviously. That's absolutely brilliant. What was it like when um, Dean, uh, that's going to say Dean Richards then, uh, D- Dean Ryan and Carl Hogg approached you after that first game? Because Dean Ryan's you know, a big character. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I suppose in a way it's almost blissful ignorance because I didn't fully recognise both of them. Uh, Did you not? The game. not? Not completely because um, as it happened, uh, I was kind of rushing to get changed and then Mark said, oh, um, kind of the boss wants to come and see you, um, come and speak to you. So I've gone up to him. It's, it's honestly been a two-minute exchange of words and then you think, okay, that's just happened. And then it wasn't until I was in the car driving back like you kind of realise who you've just spoken to. You've spoken to the director of rugby at a premiership rugby club who's kind of keen in developing you. And so it didn't really sink in at first, which I think probably played in my favour because I suppose in a way you can kind of play it a bit cooler yeah. instead of thinking, oh my God, this is happening. Yeah. So, yeah. So why did you think that the opportunity to play like A-League and premiership had passed you by? Well, I was always... Um, a good schoolboy rugby player and so I was educated at uh, the Royal Grammar School High Wycombe. Okay. Um, so I always played a good standard there, always played kind of good schoolboy circuit rugby. Mm. But then all of the opportunities for kind of county, southwest and then to properly get picked up by academy kind of just passed me by. I don't really, I'm not really too sure why. Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer now just because of everything that's happened to me in terms of uh, not getting picked up from a young age, then going to university because um, that was a natural step for my education. That was the next progression. But mm. then luckily at Loughborough, I was able to maintain a good standard of rugby, which then put me in the shop window for this opportunity at Worcester. So I think in terms of my development and what made me the person I am today, I think taking the longer route and the kind of the less trodden path has actually held me in good stead in terms of the the wealth of experience outside of rugby that I've had in terms of having uh, a good university experience, uh, made some great friends and um, some lifelong companions, and then being able to kind of make sure that you're playing rugby for the right reasons and enjoying it. I think sometimes, I honestly do think that if I'd gone and had the opportunity to start full-time at 18, potentially the same kind of mental resilience, mental toughness may not have been there because when I look back, you are still quite young as an 18 year old. So Mm. even when I went in uh, to the program full-time at 21, it took me a good four months, I'd say. So a whole preseason to kind of get used to the standards that are expected of you in terms of, um, you know, being a true professional, turning up on time, recovery, uh, preparation for training, uh, the level of detail, the level of knowledge that's required of you. Um, so I'd, I'd missed out on a lot of things in terms of, you know, boys playing on 16s, England under 18s, I was never really looked at for that. But yeah. then on the other side of it is I don't know that I'd be as hungry and as kind of mentally resilient and ready to work for 
a dream that I never thought could be a reality. So I think that's why at the moment, well, it's really what's kind of lit the fire in my belly to kind of keep going and uh, pursue, well, bigger and better things. Yeah, I completely agree with you with the enjoyment of rugby because I, I, I kind of look at a lot of these clubs and particularly the academy systems. Now, the academy systems are great, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you sometimes feel that the players are missing out on not having either university rugby or lower-level club rugby or something which bridges that gap because there's not a lot of rugby to be played uh, at A-League level. No. Well, well, now, obviously, with the new format uh, for the A-League, I think it's 11 games. There are more games available, but particularly, say, in the past, um, the opportunity has been relatively few and far between because I think there's been six games for the yeah. A-League unless you make the knockout stages. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, And not only that, it's a weird sort of competition. So, you know, if you were playing at, say, I don't know, National 1 or National 2, which is kind of where you'd want to be if you wanted to progress up to the Premiership, you've got a nice structured environment. A-League, yeah. you're not sure who's going to show up every week. And it's just, I mean, uh, I, went, I, don't know if, I don't know what this, this actually says about me that I go to watch A-League rugby, <laughs> but um, it's just so fast. It's so frenetic. Yeah. That's definitely what uh, was a bit of a shock for me. Um, no, I think the nature of the A-League is, is a bit of a melting pot for either players who are established first-team players trying to look for a bit of game time, coming back for injury, or find some form with younger players in the academy who are trying to get blooded, combined with sometimes, as was in my case, you're, you don't have the depth in one position for that for that week, so mm. you need to find a stand-in. So it can be quite tough to play the, the level and the structures of rugby that are expected from within the full-time setup, but at the same time, it's a fantastic opportunity to play some free free-flowing rugby. Yeah, completely. Yeah, completely agree. Um, just out of interest, you said uh, you were between Bucks and first team. What, what were? What do you mean by that? What are the differences between the two teams? How is Loughborough set up there? Okay, so um, uh, Loughborough have uh, the Saturday team, which competes in the national leagues, as well as the Wednesday team, which is the Bucks com- competition. So uh, I've got you. Loughborough have, I think, four, maybe five teams. So they have the uh, national one team. Then you have the Bucks one, two, and three. So the Bucks one team would play against teams like Durham, um, your Leeds, your Leeds Beckett, Newcastle, and compete in that Bucks Rugby uh, Cup competition and the regular league. Mm. Whereas the Saturday team would play in that one and play against teams like, I suppose, Bladen, Wharfdale. Got you. Um, those kinds of teams. So the National 1 team, it, it, you're quite fortunate in that regard because you, there was a lot of rugby to be played, so quite often I was playing on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So it meant that you're you've got full season and you're always running out for a game, always preparing for a game. Well, was George Shooter in charge when when you were there? No, I think he came afterwards. Yeah, he came after. Just missed him then. I think it was, yeah, I think it was the year after I left. So I left in uh, twenty fourteen, I think. Who were your main rivals then at Loughborough? Did you have anyone who was a particular grudge match? Uh, in the, for the Bucks League, yeah. uh, Durham was good fun. It was good fun because I think what's quite typical of uh, that kind of setup, as with, I suppose, uh, Premiership as well, is that when you're kind of not that frontline team, there's a bit more freedom, a bit more, I suppose, a tiny bit more grit in trying to prove yourself to get into that first team. So mm. when you're playing in the Bucks team, all of the boys want to try and put their hand up to play in the Saturday team. Uh, um, that works. And at the time, I think Durham had won three maybe out of the last four um, Bucks University competitions in rugby. So we hadn't won it for a long time. Uh, and I think they'd beaten us home and away. So 
Uh, we had one particularly gruesome game away in my final year. I think the score may have been 9-6. Nice, perfect. Uh, sleet, hail, rain, slush. Um, the backs were shivering. You're kind of waiting for a scrum to get a bit of warmth. Um, but that was kind of <laughs> one of the, the games that sticks in the memory because we came away with the victory, even though it wasn't the prettiest of games. But um, it's, it's one of the ones you look back on when... Uh, I suppose you've been away from that environment for a while and think, oh, that's that's when I had a good time with my friends. Wow. Um, so, so that's one that ling- lingers in the memory. So you're between like the Saturday team and, well, I guess it's the Wednesday team if, if it's in university. Who was ahead of you in the second row? And are they still playing? Um, so Ed Taylor, who I think is at Bedford now. Yeah. Uh, he was ahead of me. And then who else was ahead of me? I can't remember. But I was basically third third choice um, for my final year. So it was kind of in between the two. So I'd basically start on Wednesday, bench on a Saturday, and then just run like that for most of the year, really. Um, I had a few starts in National 1. Um, yeah, it was a weird one, really, because obviously I also got picked up by Worcester quite early in that season. Yeah. So it meant that I was... So I was driving and training for Worcester, full-day training on the Monday, then driving back from training to train with Loughborough on the Monday evening and then playing on the Wednesday and then the Saturday as well. So it was a bit here and there. Yeah. Um, so it was, quite, it was it was good fun though because I was constantly playing. Um, it was it was tough though because uh, you're trying to manage that with your, your studies as well and driving an hour and a half each way or getting trained for three hours wasn't the best. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So what would you be doing now if you weren't a professional rugby player? Uh, probably uh, in the city doing finance, if I'm honest. I had a few assessment centres lined up, which yeah. I was... Um, quite relieved to be able to say, look, I've had this fantastic opportunity to kind of chase a dream. Um, I'm going to put this side of my life on hold for a bit. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably be kind of in the city trying to chase that kind of dream. Brilliant. And, and I guess, actually, being a professional rugby player isn't going to um, in any way inhibit you going back into the city at some point. No, not at all. So one of the opportunities, I suppose, that's how I've had to see it uh, from having such a lengthy spell on the sidelines is that I've been able to um, pick up a master's um, from Birmingham University, uh, which I've just finished. I get the results next week, actually. Um, So that's given me a chance to actually further my academic progress as well. Mm. That's kind of while I'm biding my time, waiting to get back on the pitch. So talk to me about Worcester this year, then. Obviously, it's been a tough start. 
Uh, you've got Gary Gold entering his first year as director of rugby, but unfortunately also his last year as director of rugby. How is the atmosphere keeping up? Uh, it's still very positive. Um, I think every club goes through phases where it restructures, so mm. we just happen to be going through that phase at the moment, so it's just circumstance, really. Um, some things you can't control, obviously. Uh, Gary's got a fantastic opportunity to go and um, coach the USA leading into a World Cup, so yeah. we're going to wish him well at the end of the season, but he's conducted himself brilliantly over the past weekend and preparing us for uh, this weekend's game, uh, well, for last weekend's game against Bath. Um, no, so we are actually quite quite a close-knit bunch, um, quite resilient as well. So we had, um, we're fortunate to have a good trip uh, in pre-season to Barcelona where everyone got to know each other. Oh. Um, everyone, kind of, it's when you're away with the team, that's when you build the proper bonds. Yeah. So I think that's really set us up to be able to stay close and stay tight through tough times. Um, obviously, the results haven't gone our way so far, but because of how, how tight and how resilient the boys are, we know that it's only a matter of time before the tide turns and um, we're able to pick up a few points. Well, what did you boys get up to in Barcelona out of interest? Uh, by the way, probably Europe's best city as well. Oh, it's a lovely city. Um, awesome, well, it? we just went for a long weekend um, kind of team bonding kind of exercise. Um, we did a few uh, kind of team building sessions, uh, a bit of sightseeing. Um, and just really got to know each other. Um, is it almost a sense of frustration at Worcester? Because it it's a pretty good team. It just feels like you're, you're just slightly off. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, you judge yourself by what you think you're capable of, while others judge you by what you've done. So yeah. we're still very optimistic because we know that the performances we've put out on the pitch so far this season aren't set to our standards aren't where we know we can be mm. um so i think the biggest part is just keeping keeping together and then following the systems that we've got in process and processes we've got in place so we've got great coaches in sam vesti omar and um, methan davis and carl hogg and uh so we're producing we're producing parts in games which are promising but it's about that consistent performance that's what we've been missing and as anyone who watches the Premiership knows, those two lapses in concentration, you get punished. So that's what's happened to us in a few games where we defend valiantly for five, six minutes, and then it's one lapse in concentration where it's a pretty fundamental, pretty basic error, and that costs you five or seven points. So it's just about that concentration and then trying to build that 80-minute performance. Yeah, you mentioned Sam Vesta there. I've actually heard great things about his uh, attack work. Yeah, yeah, he's... Um, He's a very youthful, very young, very energetic and exciting coach. So he, in terms of the skills work that he does and the, his vision, how he sees a game, how he breaks down opportunities in a game, um, I, I'd say he's probably up there in terms of uh, coaches and young coaches as well. Um, so I think with the back line that we have, I don't think we put on the pitch exactly what we produce in training and mm. what we know we're capable of from seasons gone by. Yeah. Uh, so in that regard, I think there's a lot more to come from our attack in the next few weeks, so um, stay tuned. Yeah, because the um, attacking side of Worcester, I, I don't think you like for, for attacking players, that's for sure. And I think that's very much accentuated by your plastic pitch. So if you catch you on the right day, pretty much like the end of last season, it can be uh, fairly uh, fairly explosive stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the boys put together some monumental performances in the back end of the season. So the games against, against Bath and uh, Bristol at home, we're certainly up there in terms of our attacking performance and, and defence, uh, for that matter. Uh, were but, you, yeah. 
Were you with the team when you got promoted against Bristol, or were you just before that? Um, yeah, so I've I've actually been knocking around the club behind the scenes for for quite a while. So I was uh, I was my first full time season was that Championship year. When was we got, it uh, promoted? But I was injured from the September of that year, and then didn't play the following year because of the same injury. And then my first oh. year kind of back playing was last year, and then we're into the season now. Yeah, the reason I ask is because we had Chris Pennell on the show, and we were just basically talking about what an incredible event it was for the, you know, not only for the players, but the fans, and actually probably one of the best days in the club's history. How do you remember that event? Unbelievable. Um, I don't think I've ever been so nervous watching a game. I think it's taken a few years of my life. Um, <laughs> win, to win two legs by, by one point, and especially in the manner we won it in oh. the uh, second game. I think we were down by... What was it? Thirteen points. It was, uh, it was a no, fair few points. points potentially, yeah. And then um, Lammy came up with that uh, quick fire conversion as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I've ever been. I think that's probably the highlight of my uh, experience of Worcester. Even though I wasn't on the pitch, uh, it was certainly a team effort throughout the season. And to get to see the boys do what they did, be, on that was pretty special. I'd be very surprised if there's anyone in that Worcester team who has an experience that will exceed that in in their entire career. Oh, definitely. I think at the time I thought it was kind of, it's almost the stuff, it's not quite, it's quite cinematic. Yeah, you yeah, you're right, actually. Because it's, you're down and out. I think they scored two, uh, then they get yellow, one yellow card. Uh, we score a try, a uh, penalty try, I think JP Doyle gave us. Then there's three minutes on the clock. We need seven points to draw. Uh, if we get the conversion, then we win by one point over the two legs. Uh, Chris Pennell scores in the corner after the scrum. And then Lammy kind of puts the ball down. I don't think I've seen him take a conversion that quickly. <laughs> uh, and then the whole place just erupted. Um, it was quite special, yeah. You mentioned before the injury which kept you up from September. Well, it sounds like what over like over a year's worth of injury there. Um, yeah. What was the injury? Uh, so I've actually fractured two bones in my back, um, which what? had to have surgically repaired. So that took the best part of two years for me to get up and running to the point where I could play a game again. Uh, so that was kind of, that's pretty much been the longest spell uh, I've had injured. And obviously it wasn't a great time at Worcester, but um, I've come out the other side now, so quite happy. How did you fracture your back? Was it one particular incident? Um, well, I was involved in a, in a road traffic accident a couple of months uh, before. Mm. And then it was kind of the perfect storm. So a few things... Uh, led to it actually happening. I think it was in a running session the day after we played. So you couldn't see it coming. It, no one touched me. It wasn't any contact or anything. And then the next day I was kind of struggling. Um, and then uh, I was told that, okay, you've got two broken bones in your back. You need Crikey. to have some time, have some time out of rugby. And then, but the, the medical team at Worcester had been great and um, had a lot of support from them and the support staff. And, it's been a proper team effort to get me back up to the standard and to the kind of physical competency I'm at now. Uh, I'm guessing it was damaged and it was just the running that set it off and yeah. you, and you didn't know from the initial impact. I think, well, I think you, being a brave rugby player, you try and do and put up with more than you potentially should. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of a case of favouring an injury and then it just kind of came to a head where there's nothing you could really do about it. Yeah, that's uh, quite the serious injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two two vertebrae on my back, which I've got two um, screws in now for um, 
they're, yeah, they're permanently in there. Oh, so, right. Going through through airports is tricky. No, it's fine. They're titanium. They don't go off at all. I'm uh, under the radar. It's all good. So now you're fit then, what are your personal goals for the season? Um, I think in the past I've learned that you can never trust prosperity. So when times are good, I've thought, okay, I'm flying here. This is as what happened with, in that first season, my back. Um, so I'd started two of the first three preseason games on the bench for a big game, first game of the season against Bristol away. Yeah. Then the second game started the first league game and then did, uh, was injured. So I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is not to get ahead of myself and kind of keep your feet firmly on the ground because every time you do kind of start to kind of put your chest up and think, okay, things are starting to happen, getting a bit of traction now, inevitably something comes along and brings you right back down to earth. So that's that's the biggest thing I've learned is just to kind of stay present in the moment and enjoy each game as it comes because when you've been out of the game for that long, kind of there's nothing else that whets the appetite that much. So when you actually do get a chance to be on the pitch, you fully embrace it and enjoy every game as it comes. So I'm just enjoying my rugby at the moment. So I'm not really putting too much pressure on myself. Um, I've already, in terms of my personal performance, I've exceeded where I thought I would be after mm. um, a decent amount of time out of the game and to be kind of coming in and making good impacts and good involvements and helping the team uh, hopefully to, towards a win is all I'm looking for really yeah now you obviously don't need to give away any state state secrets but kind of what sort of feedback are you getting from from you from your coaches and, and how are they looking to to deploy you oh well um so I speak a lot uh, with uh Methin Davies who's probably kind of my mentor at the club yeah um, so because he's been through well he's been with me throughout most of my journey so He's of the same kind of thought process, which is keep your feet on the ground, take each game as it comes. And constantly, you're just trying to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be. So it's working on small things each week, which then over the season should build into some massive improvements. Um, so it's all about just trying to get more game time, to get more exposure uh, at premiership level and then hopefully European level as well. And then just building towards cementing a place in the first team, hopefully eventually uh, starting again um, and then going from there, really. Yeah, that sounds like a very introspective way of looking at things and particularly sensible, in, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I think it needs to be because uh, I think you, too often you can get caught up with these external kind of stimulus, external thoughts, external comments, when the reality is that it's, it's your performance each week, each training session mm. that kind of cumulatively makes a difference. So... It's not about kind of thinking, okay, you've made, you've had one moment of one game at the beginning of the season where you've made a big shot. That could be fluke. That could be, you could make them every week, but it's what, what other areas of the game do you need to improve? What, what are you weak on? What will make you more of a rounded player in the long run? So it's kind of looking at it that way instead of kind of get, getting caught up in, okay, you made one decent tackle in one game, but the reality is, can you roll out every week and perform at a decent level? Well, a few more of your big hits, and not only will your YouTube hits have gone through the roof, but uh, you'll be able to sell T-shirts and all sorts of paraphernalia. <laughs> I'm, not too, I'm not too sure about that one. Hopefully, we'll see. Now, we spoke about development quite a lot, and I have to ask, what is it like for you as a young second row playing alongside a guy like Donica O'Callaghan and trying to pick up some of his good habits and learn from what he does? Oh, he's awesome. Um, 
what better person for a kind of young lot coming through the ranks to have as a, almost a mentor and in the same team. So he he drives standards culturally and I'd say in terms of professionalism, I'd put him up there. I don't think there's anyone who looks after their body better than Donica. Actually, before we carry on, I know one that does. In fact, I'll give you his name. Uh, Peter Stringer. <laughs> Those two are in competition. I'd say... I say Don has logged more hours at the club. That's for sure. He lives in the cryotherapy chamber and uh, the cold tub. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say he probably takes it. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty upset when I heard that Peter Stringer was leaving the Northwest, and I think he's about forty now. In fact, I think he's forty. I'm not sure if he has yet. I know he's thirty-nine, he's but I'm not sure what month. Sort of on the cusp of forty, but he can yeah. still speed speed up a game like no one else. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, to have two legends of the game in, around, in and around the club has been massive for a lot of the younger boys, um, just in terms of how to conduct yourself and, the, as I said, team culture and good for the environment. Yeah, you mentioned the cryotherapy chamber there. Uh, I'm not actually sure there's a club in the league which has got as good of facilities for training as us as to do. Yeah, the facilities are fantastic. Um, the boys certainly make good use of them. Mm. Um, they've actually developed... Uh, I'd say a world-class training facility over the past two or three years. So I'd say we're definitely up there in that regard, but it's just about using those resources to make sure you're in the best place to perform at the weekend. Who, who's who got the cryotherapy chamber record? Donica, by far. Really? By far. I was going to say, you've got to be competing. <laughs> I'm not far off. I'm trying to <laughs> follow in Donna's footsteps, but... Uh, I don't think I can stand uh, nine minutes at below 100 degrees, so he, uh, he definitely takes it in that regard. Yeah, that's pretty. That that is pretty intense. So, business end of the interview. First question is, where are you going to finish at the business end of the season? And just to make it a bit more difficult, I want you to tell me exactly how you guys, as a club and as a team, are going to achieve that finish. Okay. Um, so I think we're traditionally of slow starters in the Premiership. I think our post-Christmas form uh, always holds us in good stead and kind of saves us. So, But I think we're going to peak a bit early in that this year. I feel like there's something coming, something special, some good wins. If you look at our start to the beginning of the season, we've had uh, Exeter, Wasps and Saris, all, all of our home fixtures. And then I think we let one slip against Gloucester away. Um, and then obviously Newcastle and Bath were pretty poor results by our own um, own standards mm. so I think that we'll be in a good place in the January period so just after Christmas we'll be uh, we, we should have a few points under our belt so I'd say hopefully uh, two points maybe uh, three spots off the bottom uh, is more than realistic and hopefully looking to climb the league even further but uh, I'd say a conservative prediction that would be a conservative prediction Excellent well Christian, you've been a, a fantastic guest and I've got full confidence that you'll deliver that and far, far more. Um, is there anywhere that we can find you on uh, social media, t- uh, Twitter and the like? Uh, yes, yeah, so my Twitter and Instagram are both at 1CSW. So if anyone wants to give me a follow. Just keep making those hits, mate, and you will get plenty of extra followers. Of course. Thanks for having me on, mate. No problem. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 